This is arguably the most personal message I've ever given, Uh, so we'll see if I make it through. It started out as an academic exercise, uh, an opportunity to rip on people, which um, unfortunately sometimes I fall prey to, Uh, an opportunity to be condemnatory concerning people in the Bible. Um, You know, the Scripture says in John 3.19, as humans, we love the darkness. That's why we sin, because we love it. We love the darkness. Romans 3 says, as humans, none of us is righteous or seeks God. We have all turned aside. But surely, if we see something miraculous, something amazing, then we'll believe. I'd like you to turn very quickly to Luke chapter 16. I put that as the verse for this message, but it's really just the kickoff verse for the message. Luke chapter 16, and looking at verses... 30 and 31, which we're familiar with. Here the rich young ruler who is in torment says to Abraham, verse 30, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. If you'll see something amazing, something miraculous, something that clearly is God's work, then surely you'll believe. Have you ever thought in your heart that this verse wouldn't apply to you? I did. And then as I was looking at my academic look, through people who rejected God through the scriptures, as I looked at it, I kept seeing myself. It was very discomforting. There's something about the human heart. We're pretty stubborn. Even those of us who know Christ, we fail. So this morning we're going to look at people who saw amazing things but rejected God. And as we do, I am going to do what I encourage some of you to do. I'm going to try and see myself. You know, those of us who are longtime sojourners remember Bob King. And you remember that sometimes Bob King would start a message by saying, in this message, I'm going to teach you how we do messages and how you can read a passage to get something out of it. The Old Testament was written for us to get something out of it. And narratives, often we just read narratives, and we look at flannel graphs, and we get stories, and we don't see, well, how does this apply to me? Okay, those people did that thing, but how does it apply to me? And what I'm going to do today is read through, or just uh, not read through, but uh, look at a number of narratives and see how it applies to me. So look at Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. 
And this is my message. Pharaoh, Pharisee, and Fraser. I think my original title would have been Pharaoh, Pharisee, and Fools. But I had to replace the fools with another fool. Exodus chapter 7, verse 13. As usual, way behind. Here we go. Exodus chapter 7, verse 13. Pharaoh here sees the miracle of Aaron's staff turning into a snake. And look what verse 13 says. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them. Go to chapter 7, verse 23. When the Nile turned to blood, one would think that's fairly notable. The Nile, that the entire Egyptian civilization was based upon, turns to blood. Look at verse 23. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house with no concern for this. He had no concern for the Nile turning into blood. Go to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. After frogs enveloped the land, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. He makes a promise to God. Let the fog, get rid of the frogs and I'll do this. But look at verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Look at verse 19. After the gnats are all over Egypt... The magicians, verse 19, said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them. Then look later in chapter 8, verse 28. He makes another promise when the insects come. Verse 28, Pharaoh said, I will let you go, that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Make supplication for me. Ask God to get rid of these insects. And he does. And then look at verse 32. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. Look at chapter 9. After the cattle died, verse 7, and Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not even one of the livestock of Israel dead, but all the Egyptian ones were dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Look at verse 12 of chapter 9. After the boils, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them. Look at verses 27 to 35. Now, this one's really interesting because look what he says in verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned. I have sinned this time. (laughs) Okay, didn't need that particular uh, adverb. But anyway, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one. I and my people are the wicked ones. We're making progress. Well, not so much. Verse 35, 
34 rather. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart. He and his servants, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He did not let the sons of Israel go. Chapter 10, the locusts, verse 8. Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. He said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Another promise. He's making a deal this time. Anybody ever made a deal with God? He's making a deal. But then, if you go down to verse 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. It's deal, then no deal. Chapter 10, verses 24 to 27. In verse 24, Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Verse 27, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. So what is it that finally, finally gets him to let them go? His own son. His own son is, is killed. Exodus 14. So he said, look at verse 8. And then afterwards, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He chased after the sons of Israel. All right, so I read this narrative, and I know this story since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, as we used to say in the Midwest. But that, it's just a story about this guy a long time ago, right? No, because I see myself here. It's Pharaoh and me. How many displays of God does it take to get my attention? Do I listen to him the first time? The Bible said over and over again, he did not listen. What does it take to get me to listen? How often do I make promises to God? How many movies are filled with guys in foxholes making promises to God? But more importantly, how many times do I make promises to God? How often do I revert to sin after the crisis passes? Sometimes within a matter of hours, not days. Do I make deals with God? When I'm about to have cancer surgery, which they're going to remove something, and they don't know how much they're going to remove, did I make a deal with God and say, God, if you don't, if you don't have them cut away too much? Yeah, I did. But let's get back to blaming other people. (laughs) The people of Israel, there's a good target. They were delivered from Egypt. They saw a pillar of smoke in the day and a pillar of fire at night, moving and leading them in Exodus 13. In Exodus 14, they saw the Red Sea parted. 
And contrary to these funky shows that they show on TV where they try to naturalize everything, it wasn't that the, that was a really uh, not very deep part and the wind blew and so they trudged through in the mud. They walked through on dry land, the Bible says. And then when they got across and the Egyptians started to follow, they watched the, the Red Sea envelop them to save them again, to deliver them. That's all in chapter 14. In chapter 14, you know what comes next? Grumbling. By chapter 14, after chapter 14, they're grumbling. Exodus 14, 31, And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord. And then in chapter 15 and 16, they're grumbling again. I don't know how long a chapter is, but whatever it is, it's only one. That is, I don't know how long a chapter is in my narrative, but it's only one chapter in their narrative. Then they get the provision of manna in Exodus 16. Food from heaven, literally. Food from heaven that comes every day, just clockwork, like that, to feed them in the wilderness. Food from heaven. In Numbers, chapter 11, verses 4 to 6, which chronologically is right after this situation, they're complaining about manna. Now, I'm one of these people that can eat the same thing every day. Abner's shaking his head yes because he knows. We eat lunch together for many moons every day. And he knows that I can eat a Del Beef burrito every day. And you might as well get used to it because that's lunch in heaven. (laughs) But when I taught high school and my wife made me uh, lunches, I had tuna fish sandwiches virtually every day for about eight years. I can do that. If it's something I like, why not eat it again? I don't get why people have a big problem with that. But come on, manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. And the people start grumbling. Manna again? Manna pancakes? Manna burritos? Manna sandwiches, they're grumbling, they're complaining about God's provision. So those bad people and me, I've seen God's deliverance in my life, and yet I fear. Actually, when I lived in Kansas City, They have stuff back there that's called snow. It's white. You can Google it, Californians. (laughs) And uh, it was a a New Year's Eve, and our church youth group was having a party, and I was driving to the party at about midnight. 
And as I'm headed for an intersection, I see off out of my peripheral vision, I see off to the side that there is a car barreling down the road perpendicular to where I'm going. And when I mean barreling, it looks like a toboggan in the Olympics. It's, and the person is obviously drunk. And they're traveling at an immense speed. And I'm going headed straight for this intersection, same as they are. And you say, well, then just stop. Well, snow and ice on the road, you don't just stop. That's just not a reality. So I started employing all of the tactics that my father taught me, how to drive on ice and, and how to slow down properly so you don't lose control and so forth. And I'm doing that. And I'm looking, and here comes that car. And I'm doing that. And I pull up just short of the intersection and stop, and he flies by. You don't think I prayed to God? <laughs> I, you don't think I thanked God? and recognized his deliverance? And you don't think I sinned the next day? Another time, Leanne and I, my wife and I, were on the freeway coming north, uh, about Roxford, where the, the five and the four or five come together. So you've got about six lanes of traffic there. This is, this is at night. <laughs> in a torrential downpour. It's raining. And we're about five lanes over inside, right? We're about five lanes over, and the car stops. There are t- it's at night. There's lots of trucks. Trucks are barreling through lots of other traffic, and the car just stops. It runs out of gas. So there's no restarting it. This is one of the few times in my life in which I had no answer. Normally I have some answer, some, some idea, something I can do. I had no answer. And there was a car coming up behind us. See the headlights coming up at a pretty good speed. And I just turned to Leanne and I said, we're going to get hit. Well, that car coming up behind us somehow got stopped. And the person got out of that car and came up. And the two of us pushed the car across four lanes of freeway in a rainstorm with trucks and everything going by, and everything was fine. I've seen God's deliverance in my life. I've seen God's provision in my life. When Leanne and I were finally able to buy a home, uh, we bought a home in Pacoima. Uh, It was supposed to be the beginning of a renovation project that was going to transform everything and so on and so forth, and that didn't happen. So we got... (laughs) I've seen lots of provision from God financially and a lot of other ways in my life. Yet I constantly grumble. I constantly complain, just like the people of Israel did. God has given me great undeserved blessings. The births of my three daughters, the most, three most amazing events of my life. And then their baptisms. And in three weeks, going to the marriage of one of them. 
Yet I complain. I grumble. God can't give me enough blessings for me to stop grumbling and complaining. Let's go back to the people of Israel. (laughs) In Exodus 19, the people of Israel, it says, they met God. They didn't go up to the top of Mount Sinai with Moses, but they met God at the foot of the mountain. In Exodus 19... In 1917, not the year, first 1917. And guess what happened? In Exodus 32, they built a golden calf at the foot of that same mountain. What about me? I first met God when I was 10 years old. And I've met him and heard his voice numerous times since. How many times have you heard his voice speaking to you through the word or speaking to you through some wise person? And yet I have idols in my life. I don't make golden calves. I don't have to. My idols are already made. They're already there. I have gross sin in my life. Just like those foolish Israelites. What about Nadab and Abihu? Sons of Aaron. Who were taught to be priests. They saw God, according to Exodus 24, 9 and 10. They were part of the elite group that saw God in some sense. Shortly after, in Leviticus 10, they were killed by God for offering strange fire. That is, for worshiping God in an improper way, for not taking worship seriously and offering improper worship. What about me? I haven't seen God, but I've seen Him at work in the world and in people's lives, yet I don't always worship properly. I don't always bring him the kind of worship that he demands and deserves. Do I always worship in an attitude of prayer? No, I don't. Do I come to the Lord's table properly every time? No, I don't. Do I come with an attitude of submission to the Word of God? Not always. Do I pay attention to what I'm singing? Or am I just going through the motions like singing the national anthem or saying the Pledge of Allegiance, which no one pays attention to either? Do I pay attention to what I'm singing when I'm worshiping God? 
And after I worship, how many hours will it be, not days, before I sin again? Aaron and Moses, heroes of the faith, and rightfully so, rightfully so, heroes of the faith. Aaron did some of the miracles and witnessed all of the others. But he made the golden calf. Well, then again, he just took the gold and threw it in and the calf came out (laughs) from his accounting of it. He made the golden calf. And then later in Numbers 12, tried to usurp authority from Moses. Now, why did he do this? Scripture tells us, that he was influenced by other people. He was weak-willed. When he was trying to defend himself about building a gold calf, he said, the people wanted it. The people demanded it. When he tried to usurp authority from Moses, he was driven by his sister. Moses spoke with God, did most of the miracles, wrote five books of the Bible. Will Varner used to refer to him as a mountain of a man. Now, I happen to know that that's not true because I've seen Charlton Heston. (laughs) He's not a mountain. Moses, but he sinned in Numbers 20. 8 to 12, and consequently was not allowed into the land. His sin was pride. God told him to speak to the rock, and he didn't think that that drew enough attention to him and his role in the process, and so he struck the rock, suggesting that it was his work and not God's. Aaron, Moses, and me, I can be weak-willed. I am prone to follow others into sin. And when I don't follow others into sin, it's often to show God I'm too good for that. Not because I really don't want to fall into sin, but it's to show that I'm better than those other people, like some of these people. 60-some years. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar witnessed the miraculous deliverance of the three men from the fiery furnace. Get that? He put three guys in a fiery furnace, watched them in the furnace, chatting with a fourth guy who just happened to be Jesus Christ, coming to comfort them. And they come out, and their clothes don't even smell like smoke. They are so clear from the fiery furnace. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? What's his response? I encourage you to read Daniel 3, 28 to 30. In fact, I'm going to read Daniel 3, 28 to 30. 
What does he say when they come out? Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. He got it, right? It made an impression on him as opposed to Pharaoh. But you know what the next chapter says? Another one chapter. Later on, he reflected on the situation and decided to glorify himself instead. So God humbled him and turned him into an animal for seven years. He ate grass for seven years. But then he returned to his senses after that. How do I do with Nebi? I often respond to God emotionally, like Nebuchadnezzar did, with tingles or warm fuzzies or tears. All Jubilant Sykes has to do is sing a song, and I'm in tears. Or all I have to do is read the second verse of the hymn, Before the Throne of God Above. And I'm in tears. I was about to read it, but I'll get in tears. But I'll try anyway. Because the sinful Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I often respond to God emotionally. But then God has to humble me again and remind me of a proper view of myself when that brief moment passes. New Testament, the Gerasenes, they saw a demon-possessed man delivered of a legion of demons, and the demons transferred into pigs. What was their response? Two verses later, the response of the whole city was to ask Jesus to leave their region. Really? Really? That's your response? But I'm no better. I want the benefits, the goodies from relationship with Christ. But I often do not want Christ to invade my space and dwell with me, abide with me, or have me abide in him. 
or to bring material loss. Part of the problem with the city was the pigs ran off a cliff and they lost their pigs. They were more concerned with their material loss than with what they had just seen. And the power of God, the power of Christ. I'm often uncomfortable because I keep reverting to sin. And a sinful person next to a holy God is not comfortable. So sometimes... Sometimes I want him to relieve my region. <clears throat> Jesus' disciples, they witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They watched Jesus create food on the spot. They distributed the food. You know what Mark says? Immediately, immediately, Afterwards, they were astonished that he had power over the wind when they were on the boat. Why? For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. The incident of the loaves? They hadn't learned anything about his creative power or his control over the natural world. What about me? It seems no matter how many times I see God's handiwork and his intervention, I'm always surprised and astonished and doubting. Too often, I don't think, look what God did. Too often, it's God could do that in my thinking process. And then there's the ultimate, Judas. He walked with Jesus throughout his ministry. He's been messing us up all along. He did the same things they did, heard the same teaching. His response was betrayal for money. John tells us he loved money and used to sneak money from the box. That's why he wanted to be the treasurer. And then his answer was, or his Response was extreme guilt. I sometimes back away when I'm not getting what I wanted or expected from my relationship with Christ. I'm often focused on material things. I'm an American. I sometimes effectively choose money over Christ. Effectively. I don't think of it that way when I'm doing it, but it's what I'm doing. And then I feel extreme guilt. But it doesn't last. 
So what does this mean for me, maybe for us, if you can relate at all to anything I've said? Number one, beware spiritual pride. 1 Corinthians 10.12 Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We're back to Luke 16.31 except I'm the guy who is standing there thinking I'm okay instead of the Pharisee. That's why I didn't name it Pharaoh, Pharisees, and Fraser. I named it the title of the message, Pharaoh, Pharisee, and Fraser, because I'm focusing on that one guy in Luke 16.31 who was fine. He was okay. I'm thankful I'm not like this guy. I'm thankful I'm not like Pharaoh and the people of Israel and the disciples and Judas. I'm okay. I was going to stand and rip on these people, and that was going to be it. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I need to check for Phariseeism in my life. That was my attitude. Tom Drian pointed out something, those, again, who are longtime sojourners. Tom Drian said this once. Moses did not say, show these people thy ways. These dolts have seen great evidence of thee, but rejected thee. But I'm cool. Moses, when he prayed, prayed to God and said, show me your ways. He said, let me know thy ways, that I may know thee, so that I may find favor or grace in thy sight. Second lesson, beware spiritual amnesia. Beware spiritual amnesia. The verse right before 1 Corinthians 10.12, some of you will be able to figure out, is 1 Corinthians 10.11. That's the context for verse 12. And what does the context say? And by the way, it follows the first 10 verses of chapter 10, which are talking about things that happened to Israel in the wilderness. And what does he say? Verse 11, Paul says, Now these things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction. He does not say 
They were written for our flannel graphs. They were written for our, to give us something to tell little children in Sunday school. They were written for our instruction as an example for us to learn something, to get something out of it. These things happened to them as an example. They were written for our instruction. But too often we have spiritual amnesia or we're just not paying attention. We read the narrative and we just read the narrative. That's a story. Oh, it's interesting. That thing happened to those people. Why is it there? Why did God think it was important for me to read it thousands of years later? Maybe it could apply to me. When I read these stories and see these examples, I'm supposed to learn something and be able to apply it. How can I do that? How can I do that? Third lesson, ask God for faith. Ask God for increasing faith. People see the same things. Some believe and some don't. The difference is faith. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. So what you see just affirms what you already believe, or it encourages you to believe, but it's not based on what you see. People see the same things and come to different responses. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Jesus said, blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord by faith, so walk in him. We don't generate faith on our own. God provides faith. Romans 12.3 tells us about that. Romans 10.17 tells us faith comes from the word. How do I ask God for faith? I read the word and I pray and I commune with the sovereign God of the universe. Galatians 6 says we should examine ourselves. We should pray. that God would do for us what he did for the Apostle Paul. Because it's not enough to know the right things and have the right grace community credentials. That often leads to spiritual pride. Did I say that? I'm speaking to myself. It's not enough. We need to ask God to do for us what he did for the Apostle Paul. Move him from Philippians 3, 4, and 5, where he's talking about his credentials, to Philippians 3, 9, and 10. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith, In Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The one thing I know, I don't want to show up on somebody else's PowerPoint. I don't want somebody to say, remember that Fraser guy? He was a mess. He saw all this stuff. He knew all of this stuff. And yet he was a sinner. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons that it can teach us if we're paying attention. Father, we pray that you would make us thankful that you would make us thankful and grateful people for your word, for the many blessings that you bestow upon us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to focus our attention on you, to worship you properly, and to get it when you are trying to get our attention. Father, we are just sinful people, but we want to be your slaves. Amen.